Welcome to Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Join us for an in-depth look at Iowa agriculture. Here's your host, Dustin Hoffman. Welcome into Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. I'm Dustin Huffman. Riley Smith, Mark Magnuson, and Russ Parker will all be joining us later in the program, but let's start off by running down some of the news headlines. High path avian influenza has been confirmed in a commercial flock in South Dakota and in a turkey commercial flock in Minnesota. Iowa Ag Secretary Mike Nag is encouraging everyone to remain vigilant and be sure to review your biosecurity plans and ensure they're fully implemented. Prevention of the disease is always the goal, and they are now fighting that battle, of course, right across the border in Minnesota. Michael Crusan is the communications director with the Minnesota Board of Animal Health, and he says the disease never truly goes away. It goes away from poultry operations, yes. So it goes away from the farms and the places where people raise poultry. Where there's not as much information is, does it go away from wild bird population? There are different organizations out there, like the federal government and other groups that test wild birds kind of as they migrate through and other places. And they collect data and will occasionally get detections of things like highly pathogenic avian influenza. And they know it's still out there. I guess to your question, does it ever leave? I don't know. It's one of those things that on our side, side of the coin with the farming production agriculture side, we have to take that uncertainty and put up our best offense, which is biosecurity. You can find a list of some of the biosecurity measures you should think about implementing, as well as links to resources on HPAI on our website at iowaagnet.com. Well, over half of the Iowa soybean harvest is complete right now, according to the National Ag Statistics Service's Upper Midwest Regional Office. Rebecca Alter is a USDA statistician, and she talks about where we're at here in the state. Corn maturity reached 96% this week, eight days ahead of last year and 11 days ahead of the five-year average. Corn harvested for grain reached 30% statewide, five days ahead of last year and six days ahead of the average. Moisture content of field corn being harvested for grain was at 19%. And this is what we have for the soybean situation as well. Soybeans dropping leaves was 94% this week, three days ahead of last year and five days ahead of the average. Soybeans harvested reached 52%, one day ahead of last year and seven days ahead of the average. Soybean condition declined slightly to 48% good to excellent. Of course, harvest is slowing just a little bit as widespread rains are moving throughout the state here in the latter half of the week. Well, the Iowa State Department of Agriculture has formed partnerships with Wright County and Calhoun County on some water quality projects. In Wright County, the Soil and Water Conservation District is launching the first phase of their Boone River Edge of Field project. The goal of the first phase of this project is to install more than 25 edge of field conservation practices, including bioreactors and saturated buffers in the Boone River watershed. These science-based practices, which are outlined in the Iowa Nutrient Reduction Strategy, are proven to improve water quality and reduce loss of nutrients into Iowa's waterways. Over in Calhoun County, they are also doing a raccoon edge-of-field project on the North Raccoon. The goal is, again, to get more than 25 edge-of-field practices there as well. Iowa's innovative batch and build model is modernizing the project management process by installing batches of conservation practices on multiple farms at once, according to the IDALS. This will allow faster acceleration of water quality progress as a result of this efficient and cost-effective model. Iowa continues to set records for conservation implementation, and we built a positive momentum behind the statewide water quality efforts. 
Iowa Ag Secretary Mike Nag says water is one of our most important natural resources and finding ways to protect and improve its quality remains essential to modern agricultural practices. You can find more news and information on our website at iowaagnet.com. That's all the time we've got for news headlines here this week. It's time to turn things over to Russ Parker and his faith-based food for thought. I had an interesting welcome home earlier this week. We arrived home late at night and all was safe and sound at the house. Flowers had been watered, no funny smells inside, and all was good and we quickly fell asleep after a long day of travel. And the next morning, my routine is to grab a cup of coffee and retreat to my chair on the porch and enjoy the morning. When I looked up from taking a sip of coffee, I noticed the lawn in the early morning light and instantly got my interesting welcome home surprise. It seems the raccoons had been in my yard, obviously for several nights, digging in the grass for one of their favorite foods, grubs. Apparently, there are a lot of grubs in my yard as big chunks of grass have been peeled back as they hunted for their tasty morsels. Frankly, my yard is a mess. I'm generally a very neat person, and messes mess with my psyche. For example, when the grandkids come over, especially when it's a rainy day, I choose to avoid the basement because I know a toy bomb has gone off down there. And it's music to my ears when I hear their parents say, time to clean up. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not a complete neat freak, but I do subscribe to the notion that that there's a place for everything and everything in its place, at least for the big stuff. The other kind of messes that sometimes tie my stomach up in knots is conflict. Those times when the conversation is not pleasant and getting along is challenging. And I'll bet many of you have the same kind of feeling when we hear about families fighting, conflicts at church, reports of war, really any time anyone gets hurt, physically or mentally, in the throes of conflict. And our response is most often, what a mess. But life is messy. And the good news is that Jesus Christ understands our messiness. In 2 Corinthians we read, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul goes on to say, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with my weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, and calamities. Food for thought, I hope. This is Russ Parker. Have a blessed day. Thanks, Russ. And that's going to do it here for segment one on Weekend Ag Matters. We're going to take a quick break, and Mark Magnuson will get us going here in segment two. So stay with us on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. The Iowa Soybean Association, powered by the Soy Checkoff, is driven to deliver for Iowa's 40,000 soybean farmers. Your productivity, profitability, and sustainability are top of mind this harvest season for you and for us. From increasing soybean demand worldwide to determining what conservation practices best suit your farm, the Iowa Soybean Association has your back every step of the way. Unlock your field's full potential and harvest the benefits of farmer membership by visiting IASoybeans.com. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here is Mark Magnuson. Hello and welcome to segment number two of Weekend Ag Matters on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Today I bring you a conversation with Kurt Alice of Farmers Business Network about the partnership between FBN and ADM. 
Joined today by Kurt Alice of Farmers Business Network as we talk today about the collaboration effort between FBN and ADM, a partnership that has been in the works since 2022. Kurt, thanks so much for joining us here today. Could you first of all start off, please, by letting us know how this program got started and kind of how it's worked out for FBN so far? Yeah, as you mentioned, um, we've been working with ADM uh, since uh, 2022, uh, running some of their sustainability programming, namely their regenerations program. Um, and FBN really provides the technological infrastructure uh, for ADM to run their programming. Uh, we work with farmers to collect all of their data and information um, in order to facilitate the markets that get um, uh, farmers paid for their ecosystem services. So um, ADM has been interested in running these programs for a long time. They were an early mover um, in the conservation space. And we work to help uh, run their programs um, to help turn practices like uh, cover cropping and nutrient efficiency um, into outcomes and rewards uh, so that farmers can incorporate uh, these practices uh, into their business decision making. So Kurt, since 2022, the partnership has been in effect. And just looking at some of the numbers on paper, pretty impressive stuff. Could you tell us how many people have been in participating in the program so far and kind of what they've been up to? Yeah, we were off to a really uh, fast start last year. Uh, we brought uh, 1,500 uh, growers uh, into the program um, across uh, a number of states. Um, and this year, uh, we're, we're doubling the program. Uh, uh, 3,000 growers will participate in this year. Around 2 million acres uh, of, of farmland uh, will participate across uh, the U.S. and Canada. Um, and in Iowa, uh, that's, that's going to be a, a core area uh, where farmers are going to participate. Uh, ADM's running programs across uh, Burlington, Cedar Rapids, Clinton, uh, Des Moines. And so um, there's over 100 farmers enrolled already, and we expect that number uh, to grow rapidly uh, in the coming months. So, Kurt, you mentioned all those sites around Iowa, and you're right. Is it just a matter of if you're in those locations and you're close to those sites, you can probably get involved in the program? Or is it going to be pretty much anyone in the state of Iowa? Yeah, so any farmer in the state of Iowa can participate. Uh, some of the programs are directly linked to delivery of bushels to one of those four facilities I mentioned. Um, but uh, any Iowa farmer um, should should uh, talk to uh, an ADM representative or someone at Farmers Business Network and see if there's a fit uh, for them in the program. Um, and so really any grower uh, that is interested in conservation um, is thinking about um, you know, continuing uh, conservation practices on their farm or introducing new practices um, should, should consider the program and see, see what their rewards could look like. And you mentioned that fit for a farmer and their particular operation. So how does that process work, Kurt? I know you can go onto the FBN website, the FBN app, and see these programs laid out in front of you. But is it a case of then putting in some of your information about your operation and then the FBN technology and the FBN platform helps you to match with some of those programs that fit your operation? That's close, yeah. So, um, you know, uh, you can you can talk to someone at ADM or FBN about uh, the requirements uh, for the program. Um, there's certain practices uh, that a grower has to be using, uh, for example, uh, planting a cover crop um, on fields, um, and then certain data requirements um, that need to be submitted through FBN um, in order to earn that premium. Well, we need that information um, in order to uh, verify uh, what's happening on the ground and really confirm that that farmer is eligible um, for a payment. And so, um, you know, 
from the beginning in our relationship uh, with ADM and really since the start of FBN, uh, data security has been uh, number one in terms of earning trust uh, for uh, the growers that participate in our various products and, uh, and services, sustainability and beyond. And so, um, you know, none of the farmer's information um, is going to be shared beyond uh, the program participants, um, and that's all in the contract. So to answer your question more directly, um, the contract and an ADM or FBN rep um, are, is the best way to learn more about the program, what the requirements are, um, and how you can participate. So, Kurt, more to that point that you were just talking about, about meeting those requirements. Of course, if you're going to be participating in a cover crop program, then you would need those cover crops. But is it also a case of, is it an output-based contract or is it just a participation-based contract? If you're in the program, then that is going to be what gets you that premium. That's a fantastic question. So I think I think you're seeing that um, conservation programs um, really across the country are start, starting to blend uh, uh, payments for practices and payments for performance. And uh, the regenerations program um, is the same. If you're planting a, a cover crop and you can prove that those covers made it into the ground, um, there's a reward for that. On the emission scoring side, um, if uh, a farmer is uh, performing at a certain carbon intensity uh, level, um, if they have a certain emission score, um, then they can actually get rewarded for the outcome as well. And so the data requirements, uh, what you have to submit uh, for uh, the uh, emission scoring program are a little bit more intensive. Uh, this is your fertilizer plan. This is some information about um, other agronomic practices uh, that you're utilizing um, on the ground. Uh, we want to know about what you're doing for tillage, um, a host of uh, other information. But in that instance, in the emissions program, you're getting paid for those outcomes. Um, which is great because we feel like the carbon intensity score is a, is a great way to align the farm business goals um, with conservation goals. And Kurt, you've mentioned it a little bit as we've talked during the interview, but when we think about you know some of these conservation practices, immediately the first one that jumps to mind, I think for a lot of people is cover crops, and that is a big one, but it's not just cover crops. What other practices are we talking about? Yeah, so um, uh, you know, cover crops uh, are the big one uh, for uh, the programs um, in Iowa. Um, and then on the emission scoring side, um, nitrogen efficiency is really the big area where you can impact your emissions and you can uh, reduce uh, your carbon intensity score. Um, and so uh, what's great about carbon intensity scoring is it takes uh, yield into account. Yield is in the denominator um, of those scores. And so as a farmer continues to think about their business goals, improving their yields, uh, over time, if they're also able to conserve on the fertilizer side, basically align um, those two goals, uh, they can get rewarded for that um, as well. And so nitrogen efficiency is, is a big um, area of improvement uh, that we're excited to incentivize um, with ADM. It's also a different, difficult nut to crack, right? Um, for a long time, uh, fertilizer uh, has been cheap and has been used for insurance on the farm to a certain capacity. Um, and so um, it will be a continued effort, I think, with a lot of different partners um, in the conservation uh, space in order to give farmers the tools that they need to uh, uh, maximize or, or really optimize um, their nitrogen use uh, on the farm. So, Kurt, as we wrap up here today, is there anything else you'd like to let our Iowa farmers know when it comes to this program, what it's already accomplished in 2022, and the growth we've seen already in 2023? 
Yeah, I'd just like to say, um, you know, if you're interested um, in being rewarded for conservation practices, if this is um, uh, an area where you think you could earn additional premiums and additional income for the farm while working on things like soil health um, and resiliency on your farm, I think I think ADM Regenerations is, is a great area to look. Um, the rewards are up to $25 an acre, depending on the practices um, that you're using. Um, and so uh, the, the real call to action is if you're working with someone directly at ADM, give them a call, learn more about the program. If you're working with someone uh, at FBN, um, same thing. Uh, reach out, uh, learn more, see if the program is a good fit for you, um, and, and we'll go from there. Kurt Alice of Farmers Business Network, our guest here today. Kurt, thank you so much for taking the time to tell us about the expansion of the partnership between FBN and ADM. We really appreciate it. Have a great day. Thanks so much, Mark. Thank you to Kurt Atlas of FBN. Coming up next in segment number three, Riley Smith will wrap up this week's edition of Weekend Ag Matters here on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Microessentials from the Mosaic Company delivers better nutrient uptake using a patented fusion technology. What happens is we have this reaction with our phosphorus and with our elemental sulfur in that soil profile that gives us a 28 to 30 percent better nutrient, better phosphorus uptake with microessentials than what you do with, say, a MAP blend with sulfur with other products. Ask your local retailer about smarter crop nutrition with microessentials. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's Riley Smith. Talking with Joe Heinrich of the Smart Carbon Network. Uh, Joe, always great to talk with you. Uh, of course, recently we've heard a lot about all these carbon pipelines and a lot of states, and we're looking at North Dakota, South Dakota. You are talking about this pipeline. We've mentioned before a highly emotional discussion, and most recently they've kind of rejected the bids for those carbon pipelines. But as we were just talking uh, before we got started here, you know, the, the main issue that we're looking at isn't the carbon pipelining being on one side or the other of it. It's carbon capture is what we're really going for here. Oh, yes, definitely. And as we talked just before we went on the air that uh, it seems like we've gotten so much of talking about that uh, puzzle. When I talk about that, about that puzzle, to talk about that piece of the puzzle that's the transportation. And we've almost gotten to the point where are you for or against the pipeline? And it's very emotional talking about that. And we're forgetting to talk about the whole concept of carbon capture and why it's important, why it's here, and why we need to, as the Midwest, both in agriculture and, and rural communities, to look at this as economic development, look at CO2 as a as a commodity. That's what I keep telling everybody. It's a commodity and we need to work through it. If there's issues with the pipeline, uh, as far as how it's going, you know, as far as the eminent domain, uh, safety and those things, let's work through it. A lot of those questions can be answered, but we have to be listening to each other. We have to be good Midwesterners and take the time to respectfully have the discussion. And that's what we've been trying to do. And I think there's that opportunity right now as we look at the potential that um, maybe some of this actually isn't going to happen. How is that going to affect the economy in the upper Midwest? Yeah, I think something that's really important to highlight here is a recent quote from you is that states and counties need to be mindful about chasing away sound investments. You know, we hear so many reports about 
uh, farm income getting lower and it's, and it's tougher to find new ways to make sure that farm is at a profitable level. Well, here right now, you know, as we've talked a lot, is an option that farmers can have for additional farm income. But, you know, it has to be considered as that, like you just said, and not as, you know, possibly, uh, you know, on other sides of the issue. Yeah, and it's really, to me, it's a three-prong uh, event. Now, we talk about the agricultural side. It's obviously going to have a, a major effect if we don't have carbon capture in the Midwest. Uh, because when you have low-carbon ethanol, if another area can produce it, another state, another region, uh, there, you know, the emphasis will go there. It's going to take away from what we're getting paid for our corn in this area. And when you have two thirds of the corn in South Dakota going to ethanol, you're having half the corn in Iowa go, I think is at 40 some percent in Illinois. Uh, that's big numbers. And, and we could definitely lose it on that part. Also, it's economic development. Uh, as far as in those communities where these ethanol plants are and things we don't even think about. Let's think about like plastic companies, uh, fertilizer companies. And above all, I keep talking about electricity. I just had another discussion with an electric group and they're talking about that base load electricity and they're going to be regulated into doing uh, low carbon base load electricity. And their best option is carbon capture. And that affects everybody across the Midwest if you want available, affordable, and reliable electricity. And there's so many prongs that go out from it, not to even mention the new development of new products, new industries that will come down the road that's a benefit to us. I think something important to point out on that as well is when talking about carbon capture, it's not the, you know, excess production of carbon or, or anything like that, that we're trying to create more. It's more carbon utilization. We're looking at things that are already existing, already producing carbon, uh, and taking that and repurposing it, like you said, to make even more new products, even outside of what you might think of already. Exactly. And that's that third prong is uh, as, as more research is being done, more uh, there's, they're finding more ways that we could actually utilize the CO2 in industry let's let's be taking advantage of that and and that's the discussion we have to have I, I i really believe if we get to the understanding of why this is economically so important for the midwest then we can start addressing the issues that come with the transportation part because right now i i I talked to an individual the other day and they said well we just aren't hearing that side that you're talking about and that's because people it's so emotional. People are kind of scared to talk about it in public. And we've got to get beyond that. We, you know, we have an opportunity and it's a, it's a certain point in time that we, we have this opportunity open to us. And I, I worry very much that we're going to miss that opportunity. And then that change is going to control us as far as where it goes, where it ends up, uh, what we benefit economically in the Midwest from if we don't help control where this goes. Right. And, you know, like you said earlier, and, and you mentioned it, you know, we're kind of getting towards the point where you might have to think of, okay, if we can't get these pipelines to go through, what does that picture look like there? You know, if that we can't continue to, to ha you know, have that conversation, what does the picture look like next? So as you guys are thinking of it right now from this position, what does that picture look like next for the possibility of, you know, maybe they won't listen to these pipeline discussions? Right. And there's going to be a lot of things that go with it. Uh, too much to talk about on this one interview, but it's going to be as far as maybe some of the uh, some of those ethanol plants are going to be able to adapt and uh, they'll they'll find options to 
capture the carbon and move it in some other form. It's going to be more expensive, but they would be able to do that. Uh, they're going to have to have the economics behind them to do it or the efficiency of scale. So it'd be one ones with more than one plant. You've got a lot of uh, plants across the Midwest that are, you know, farmer owned or farmer invested. Um, will they be able to do that? And then that hurts that economics. And it's it's the basis that we'll get from it. And I still talk about that rural economic development. Uh, if if those plants move, if the ethanol demand for low carbon moves to other areas and they're able to capture it, say east, you know, in Ohio, Indiana, those areas, uh, that leaves us kind of out on a limb for what we can do. And that comes back to the agricultural side, that comes back to those communities that have those uh, ethanol plants in the area. Uh, and that's just the agricultural part. Like I said, there's so much more that goes with this when we're looking at the whole picture. Joe, lots of great discussion today, as always. Uh, is there anything else as we're looking at the carbon capture, carbon pipeline, anything with the Smart Carbon Network that our viewers and listeners should know about today? Well, first off, if you, if you folks, anybody has any questions, go to smartcarbonnetwork.com, uh, you know, get a hold of us, and we'd be glad to visit with, you know, where we see this as the economic. We just want to, we want to be out there generating that discussion, trying to answer the questions, because we are at a, we are at a crossroads now that we're going to have to decide if we're going to have this discussion and stay ahead of this and decide how it can work for the Midwest, or are we going to consciously let it go down a road that we won't be able to change. And I, I don't like the picture of what it looks like if we let the, let the, let it go down the road without us controlling that change. Joe, thanks for taking the time to visit with us today. And I am sure we will be talking again here soon. I look forward to it. You have a great day. That again was Joe Heinrich, the executive director of the Smart Carbon Network. And that's it for today's episode of Weekend Ag Matters. Thanks again for tuning in. You can listen to this episode and more by going to the podcast tab on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network website at iowaagnet.com. For Russ Parker, Mark Magnuson, and Dustin Huffman, I'm Riley Smith, wishing you a great rest of your weekend. Join us again next week for more Weekend Ag Matters.